Welcome to Natu Reads, an audio library of revolutionary texts. Scripting the Change Selected Writings of Anuradha Gandhi March and the Women's Movement in India. On 1 November 2000, seven women were shot dead in the deep forests of Karimnagar, Andhra Pradesh. These women, local activists of the Viplava Mahila Sangam, Revolutionary Women's Organization, were attending a women's conference. Four out of the seven were under 16. These women were just a few of the thousands of women inspired by the revolutionary politics of the CPI-ML People's War. Although the revolutionary movement has seen over 150 women martyrs in the last two decades, half of which have been in North Telangana alone, thousands more have taken up the tasks of their fallen comrades. Not only are the women's organizations growing in strength, but increasingly, Women are also seen playing a leading role in the squads, the PGA, People's Guerrilla Army, the party, front organizations, cultural troops, and in all other spheres of revolutionary political life. It is only within the revolutionary movement that their individuality has been allowed to flower, coming out of the constraints of the daughter-wife-mother syndrome. It is only here that they have gained self-respect and see themselves as part and parcel of the creation of a just, new social order, rather than as appendages to their male counterparts. It is with this newfound confidence that revolutionary women throughout the country will once again celebrate 8 March 2001, the International Women's Day, IWD, as a day of struggle, a struggle against patriarchal oppression and economic exploitation, for the emancipation of women as part of the new democratic transformation taking place in the flaming fields of India. They will once again pledge their solidarity with oppressed women throughout the globe and march forward together in the struggle against imperialism as part of the numerous proletarian and democratic streams that comprise the World Socialist Revolution. The International Women's Day and the Women's Movement in India both have a long history of struggle and sacrifice. With Naxalbari and the growth of the revolutionary movement, the women's movement and active participation also took a qualitatively new turn. Eight March in India. Eight March was celebrated in India for the first time in 1943. It was organized in Bombay by the Friends of the Soviet Union. The event was ignored by the national media and got coverage in only one left newspaper. Later, 1950 onwards, 8 March was regularly celebrated by the National Federation of Indian Women. On 8 March 1970 in Pune, Maharashtra, over 750 women employees of the municipality came out in a procession, carrying red flags and shouting slogans, Long live May Day, Long live the heroic fighters of Vietnam, Long live proletarian woman. 
1975, 8 March was jointly celebrated by all left parties. However, it was only with the 1980 International Women's Day that there developed a widespread trend for the celebration of IWD all over the country. It was on that day that women in numerous cities of the country came out onto the streets demanding another hearing in the Matura rape case. They attacked sexual discrimination and demonstrated against the actions of the police and the government in this case. Short History of Woman's Role In the 19th century, a number of social reformers sought to raise the status of women and oppose the discrimination and evil practices towards them. Notable among them was Pandita Ramabai, 1858-1922, who put emphasis on educating women and set up a shelter for women discarded by their husbands. In Maharashtra, Jyotiba Pule, 1827-1890, besides fighting Brahmanism, involved his wife, Savitribe Pule, in setting up schools for women's education. They also opened an ashram for the children of widows. In the 20th century, women became active participants in the anti-British struggle. Here we recount some who played a more revolutionary role. At the start of the 20th century, Madame Kama was associated with those fighting an armed struggle against the British, and was also a participant in one of the conferences of the Second International during the first decade of the 20th century. In 1928, a women's organization called the Women's Student Organization was formed in Calcutta. This organization trained women to become revolutionary fighters. They organized study circles and taught women the use of the lati and the sword, and also to ride cycles and drive cars. Their members kept bombs and illegal literature for the safe custody of the terrorists and also acted as couriers. In December 1931, two young women named Shanti Ghosh and Suniti Churiri, under some pretext, took an appointment with the British collector, Stevens. At close range, they shot him dead. Both served lengthy sentences at Kalapani in the Adaman Islands. On 6 February 1932, a college student, Bina Das, who attended the convocation at the Calcutta University for her degree, suddenly pulled out a revolver and shot at the Chancellor and the British Governor. Although the shots missed, Bina served nine years in jail. A number of women were active in the Indian Liberation Army, organized by Master Surya Sen in the Chittagong Hills. To gather arms, they organized raids on the British Armory police barracks, and telegraph offices. The name of Pritilata Watadar still resounds amongst the hill, still resounds amongst the hill tracks of Chittagong. In September 1932, she led a group of women in a midnight raid on an officer's club in the hills. In the bomb attack, one was killed and several injured. Priti herself was seriously injured and captured by the enemy. To avoid being caught alive, she swallowed a cyanide pill. Together with Priti, another comrade, Kalpana, was arrested and sentenced to life imprisonment. Priti's sacrifice inspired thousands of women to join the anti-British struggle. There were a number of women in the Hindustan Republican Army of Pagat Singh and Chandrasekhar Azad. 
17-year-old Rupfati Jain was in charge of the secret bomb manufacturing unit at Delhi. Then there was the young Durga Devi, who once saved Pagat Singh by posing as his wife and also shot and killed a British police officer in Bombay. In Supash Chandra Bose's Indian National Army, there was an entire woman's regiment. Under Captain Lakshmi Sehagal, this was called the Rani Chasi Regiment. Women also participated in a big way in the Tebhaga, 1946, and Telangana, 1948-1951 peasant movements. In both these mass upsurges, not only did a number of women actively participate in the struggle against the landlords and the police, they also stood up against patriarchal oppression. They often fought the police using traditional weapons and chili powder. The women in the Tepaga struggle even supported the Hindu Code Bill, which gave greater equality to Hindu women within the family and demanded a right to share in the property. In the Telangana struggle, although only a few women were allowed to join the squads, the leadership opposed it, saying women needed protection, many women played an active and leading role in the struggle. Over 100 women were brutally raped and murdered in the course of this struggle. For example, there was the case of La Chama, who was stripped naked and tortured after being hung from a tree in order to obtain the whereabouts of Communist Party activists. She bore the tortures and was martyred, but did not disclose a word to the enemy. Then there was the case of Rambayama, who led 150 prisoners on a hunger strike within the jail. For this, she was ruthlessly beaten, as a result of which she died. Woman in the Wake of Naxalbari Naxalbari aroused the youth from all over the country. It awakened a new hope, specifically amongst the students. Many girls from various colleges plunged into the revolutionary movement inspired by the Naxalbari uprising and the politics of the CPI-ML. However, the left line of that period restricted this growth. Yet, around the same time, it was in the Shikakulam armed struggle that thousands of women participated. In October 1967, a mass procession involving women wearing red saris and carrying red flags, who were going for a public meeting, were fiercely attacked by a landlord's hoodlums. The men and women retaliated by using stones, lattes, chili powder, sickles, etc. But the cowardly landlord fired on the crowd, killing two. The women of Srikakulam were active in the squads and in various roles assisting the squads. They were active in smashing the liquor mafia. They were in the forefront, beating back the police. They were inspired by the heroic martyr, Panchadi Nirmala, who, after her husband's martyrdom in May 1969, took over his responsibility of leading the squads. To do so, she left her small child with her relatives. Nirmala herself, along with Ankama, Saraswati, and the legendary poet Panigrahi, was caught in December 1969, brutally tortured, and killed in a fake encounter. During the three years of the Shikakulam movement, 17 women were martyred, 1,000 jailed, and roughly 3,000 had criminal cases against them. Fighting both the existing left deviation and the right line that emerged after Comrade Charu Mazumdar's martyrdom, the mass organizations were rebuilt in Andhra Pradesh by the State Committee. 
But it was only after 1980, when the radical student and youth movement swept the state, 1980 to 1985, and the party took the step towards building guerrilla zones, that large numbers of women began entering the movement. Yet it was only when the movement began to acquire deep roots in the rural areas that mass-scale women's organizations began to be built. By the late 1980s, a large number of women also began entering the squads. And then the Karanya, there developed the Krantikari Adivasi Mahila Sangatan, KAMS, Revolutionary Tribal Women's Organization, and in Telangana, there was the Mahila Vimukti Sangam, which later changed its name to Viplava Mahila Sangam, VMS, Revolutionary Women's Organization. With at least one woman member in each squad, in the initial stages, these women's organizations were built by the squads. But as the number of women grew, women organizers, as teams, went around the villages building the women's organizations and taking up women's issues. Many such women had to face the wrath of the police. A number of them were caught, tortured, and killed in fake encounters. For example, in just the first nine months of 1998, 23 women were martyred in these regions. Yet the women's movement grew. By the end of the 1980s, a large number of women began entering the squads. The comms and the VMS fought alongside the peasants' organizations for their economic and political demands. They also battled against patriarchy and male domination. Issues of wife-beating, harassment, dowry, alcoholism slash gutka, polygamy, and the abandonment of wives, etc., have been actively taken up. In addition, they propagated widely against superstition, black magic, etc., they have also been active in resisting the police. Often, when the police come to arrest the youth, it is the women who, en masse, surround them and beat them back. The comms and VMS mobilized the women to join the women's organizations, setting up committees in the village areas and the divisional levels. Regular conferences have been held, where the organizations have been further strengthened. However, in areas of severe repression, this process has been temporarily retarded. By the 1990s, each were bringing out their separate women's magazines, Poru Mahila, Struggling Woman, and Dandakaranya, and Mahila Vimukti, Women's Liberation, and Telangana. With these struggles, not only has there been a betterment in the economic condition of the masses, including the women, but the fight against patriarchy has led to a greater democratization of relations within the village and the family. With the smashing of feudal authority and the establishment of the democratic authority of the village committees, the Gramarajya committees, the democratization of the relations between people has received a further impetus. This has been further consolidated in those areas where the embryonic form of the new democratic economy has been initiated through cooperation, mutual aid teams, shramdan, etc. Women are playing an active role in establishing the new power in the guerrilla and preparatory zones, with a perspective of creating base areas. Today, in the People's Guerrilla Army, PGA, one-third of the members are women. Besides the revolutionary forces, many democratic women's organizations and movements are sprouting all over the country. The present policies of the ruling classes and the government have hit women particularly cruelly. Economic deprivation and religious fanaticism are its twin weapons. 
This is drawing in more and more women into conflict with the rulers and resulting in the growth of a democratic and revolutionary awakening amongst them. This will add a new flavor to International Women's Day 2001. However, the day will also be celebrated by pseudo-feminists and outright counter-revolutionaries as well. They seek to dampen the fighting spirit of the IWD. There is no doubt that the democratic and revolutionary women's movements will assert themselves over these pretenders. The glorious spirit of 8 March grows amongst the women of India with each passing year. On this 8 March 2001, let us resolve to fight patriarchy and male domination even more firmly, to fight the consumerism and decadent imperialist culture of the West, and work for the creation of a new democratic society and socialism wherein alone can man-woman relations be built on the basis of genuine equality, trust, and mutual respect. International Women's Day Past and Present 8 March 2001 is the 91st anniversary of the International Women's Day, IWD, which was declared in 1910. In that year, Clara Zetkin, inspired by the working-class women's movement in America, proposed to the Second International Conference of the Socialist Working Woman that an annual celebration of Women's Day be held. The Socialist International meeting in Copenhagen, Denmark, established a Women's Day, international in character, to honor the movement for women's rights and to assist in achieving universal suffrage for women. The proposal was greeted with unanimous approval by the conference of over 100 women from 17 countries. No fixed date was selected for the observance. As a result of this decision, the first International Women's Day was held on 19 March 1911 in Austria, Denmark, Germany, and Switzerland, where more than one million women and men attended rallies. In addition to the right to vote, they demanded the right to work to vocational training, and to an end to discrimination on the job. The date was chosen by a German woman as 19 March, because on that date in 1848, the Prussian king, faced with an armed uprising, had promised many reforms, including an unfulfilled one of votes for women. In 1913, the date for the IWD was changed to 8 March. This was to commemorate two important events which occurred on that day. On 8 March 1857, women garment and textile workers in New York City had staged, for the first time, a protest against inhuman working conditions, the 12-hour workday, and low wages. The marchers were attacked and dispersed by the police. Two years later, again in March, these women formed their first union. Again on 8 March 1908, 15,000 women marched through New York City demanding shorter working hours, better pay, voting rights, and an end to child labor. They adopted the slogan, Bread and Roses, with bread symbolizing economic security, and roses, a better quality of life. In May of that year, the Socialist Party of America designated the last Sunday in February for the observance of the National Woman's Day. The first National Woman's Day was observed across the USA on 28 February 1909. Soon, Women in Europe began celebrating Women's Day on the last Sunday in February. It was in this background that Clara Zetkin put forward the proposal for an international Women's Day at the 1910 Conference of the Women's Socialist International. 
Within a week of the first celebrations in 1911, on 25 March 1911, over 140 working girls were killed in the tragic Triangle Fire in the USA. This event had a far-reaching effect on labor legislation in the USA and gave the IWD a further impetus. On the eve of World War I, Russian women observed their first International Women's Day in 1913. Elsewhere in Europe, on or around 8 March of the following year, women held rallies either to protest against the war or to express solidarity with oppressed women. The most famous International Working Women's Day was the 8 March 1917, 24 February in the Russian-style calendar, strike for Bread and Peace, led by the Russian woman of St. Petersburg. Both Clara Zetkin and Alexandra Kollontai took part in this event. The IWD strike merged with the riots that had spread throughout the city between 8 to 12 March. The February Revolution, as it came to be known, forced the Tsar to abdicate. In the Soviet Union, 8 March was declared a national holiday and accompanied by a celebration of, quote, the heroic woman worker, end quote. Since then, 8 March has grown in significance, and its celebrations throughout the world have marked a growing awareness of women's rights. The great advances achieved in women's rights in the Soviet Union after the Socialist Revolution were an inspiration to women throughout the world. The Chinese Revolution in 1949 showed how, even in one of the most backward countries in the world, seeped in feudal values and patriarchal thinking, women can be aroused for change. The gigantic strides made by women in socialist China were a living example for women throughout the Third World. Particularly, the great proletarian cultural revolution and its consistent attack on feudal Confucian thinking acted as a great source for the further emancipation of women in China. Comrade Qiangqing was its living symbol. The 1960s and early 1970s, which saw a strong democratic upsurge in the capitalist countries and a powerful national liberation movement in the Third World, also witnessed a rejuvenation of the women's liberation movement. The movement had such an enormous impact throughout the world that the imperialists sought to destroy it through co-option and diversion into acceptable channels. This resulted in large, corporate or state-funded NGOs vehemently attacking socialism and putting forward a bourgeois form of feminism. The process of co-option culminated in the United Nations officially recognizing 8 March as the International Women's Day in 1977. Since then, the most bourgeois and reactionary organizations have also come to celebrate 8 March, depriving it of its revolutionary content and great history of struggle through which it originated. This process was further catalyzed with the reversal of socialism, first in the Soviet Union and later in China. The first casualty of these reversals was the denial of some of the rights achieved by women under socialism. Yet, the International Women's Day continues to live on amongst the oppressed women of the world. The temporary setback of the communist movement and socialism, and the reassertion of capitalism and imperialism, has hit women hard. Globalization and the crass consumerism associated with it have witnessed the mass commodification of women on a scale unheard of before. The cosmetic industry, tourism, and bourgeois media have degraded the woman's body as never before without any respect for their individuality. This, 
coupled with mass poverty, has led to entire populations turning to prostitution, as witnessed in East Europe, East Asia, Nepal, etc. Coupled with this, the rise of religious fundamentalism and various sects throughout the world is pushing another section of women back into the status of the Dark Ages. Squeezed between these two extremes, women today, more than ever before, feel the need for assertion, for self-respect, and equality with their male counterparts. 8 March has, therefore, an even greater significance today. The revisionists and bourgeois liberals seek to dampen the woman's spirit of freedom, displaying a mock concern, acting as condescending saviors, confining women to their home. They compromise with patriarchal values, feudal traditions, and fear woman's emancipation and assertion. They, of course, also celebrate Women's Day as a routine, issuing out the regular hypocritical statements. It is the revolutionary forces throughout the world, and more particularly, the Maoists, who have brought back a living vibrancy to the IWD, making it, once again, a day symbolizing the struggle of women for freedom, self-respect, equality, and emancipation from all patriarchal values and exploitative practices. It is this revolutionary spirit that kindles a new hope in the future for the oppressed woman of India and the world.